Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. We are in our uh, the last Sunday before uh, uh, Christmas Eve, and uh, we're continuing our series called uh, Wild Night. But before we go on, I have to make an, uh, an apology. I'm not above being wrong, Tom. I know it looks like it. I present that I know a lot. Um, I, uh, was, I told a story probably about two or three years ago, and I got it out of this book called Sapiens. It's an outstanding book. It's all about the evolution of um, humans. And um, I, I, the story I'm about to tell, I said it's a fact. And I know there's probably three or four people that entered their doctoral program because they're like, I believe Chris. Chris says it, so I believe it. And they did all their thesis work. And I found out, in fact, it's not a fact. It's a scientific theory. And there's a big difference between those, apparently. So, um, And here's that scientific theory um, is... Um, the reason, one, one theory, I have to use that, one theory is that um, we are drawn to sparkles, why we like glitter, why we like Taylor Swift, why we like uh, diamonds, uh, tinsel on trees, why it might evoke some positive emotion, um, is that when we were um, uh, sapiens a long time ago, um, if you saw a, something sparkle, that would be water, right? And if you had water, you had life, you could survive, and so you'd camp out around the water. And so when we um, see something sparkle, when we even see water, right, if you're in front of a body of water, you feel calmness, that's something in your primal brain that is telling you you are safe. So people buy property on water, they retreat the water because there's something inside them that just makes them feel um, whole. And I feel this moment um, when I come over, um, what do we call it, Spirit Mountain, every time, it, and I even say it out loud, I'm like, it never gets old, right? And it feels so feels so good. There's two things that never get old, um, is, uh, and you have to yell it out, is when you see Lake Superior and when you see like a big iron ore ship coming, you have to say, oh, ship's coming in, right? And I, to this day, I've looked up um, displacement theory, like, I don't know, a dozen times. I'll be like in Canal Park, and I'm watching me, how does it float? So I read it, it doesn't make sense, and I resort to calling it black magic. I'm like, it's black magic, that's how it works. Um, but when you, when you come over that hill and you have that, that feeling, that sense of awe, um, in the Hebrew tradition, they would call that kadosh, right? The word kadosh means sacred or holy. In fact, it means like um, holy other. And in the Kabbalah tradition, which is like a um, mysticism in uh, Judaism, um, they would actually, um, at times, they would put a they draw a circle around whatever that place where they had that kadosh moment. And it was a way to signify um, where the sacred is and where the profane might be. And they're in this space, um, there is something holy. There is something completely different, and I am in it. And I love that. I love that idea because um, we've had kadosh moments, maybe even this week. Like for me, I talk about my, um, my little baby, uh, Chance, our, our little pug. No, not our pug, our frog. He's a French bulldog pug, no big deal. Cutest thing in the world, right? And when I came, I, I was gone for a couple days, I came in, and he got up and ran towards me. He does this little, like, with his long nails and his little bulldog shake. And I had a kadosh moment of, like, I love this little animal. Um, Nikki and I, uh, she doesn't know this, uh, when we were dating, when we were teenagers, we had our own little secret spot at Jay Cook at Oldenburg Point. No big deal. Uh, 
And every time we still walk by it, I still have this, this moment, this kadosh moment of the times where we had stolen time together out there. Um, at Oldenburg Point, if you've never been, it's a part of Jay Cook. It's outstanding. Um, there's this overlook, and um, I had the honor of doing a funeral for um, someone who was a part of our church and their brother um, uh, OD'd. And they took his ashes and they threw it off over the, the overlook. And every time, and I, was, I didn't even know the brother, but every time I'm out there, I think about him because that was a kadosh moment. And we've all had these. There's something that catches our eye. There's some nudge. There's a reason we picked up that book. We listened to that podcast. We created that friendship. You took that promotion or you denied the promotion. Something prompted you to move towards it. And what you found and what you discovered is something holy. And we're going to see an absolutely insane story <laughs> uh, about the Magi. Uh, and we're in our series, um, Wild Night, the, the whole concept is when we treat the Bible as like it's just simple and it's clean and it's easy, the Bible says it, I believe it, we do the Bible actually intellectual um, disservice. That the, the, the authors who wrote this story, especially in Matthew, what we're going to read, they put in chaos for some crazy reason. And maybe... Because they're trying to show that in the chaos, in the wildness, there's still something beautiful. There's still something kadosh. So we're reading out of Matthew chapter 1. Let's see. Matthew chapter 1, or Matthew chapter 2. It starts in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod... When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the, Lord, in the land of Judea, are to be by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For out of, for out of you will come a ruler, and will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So the reason I love this story is there's so much happening. There's so much moving on. And it's an incredibly progressive story. And, like, um, progressive is a very important term because I consider myself a wildly progressive uh, pastor. And there's a difference between uh, being a bleeding-heart liberal, right, and being progressive. And often we, we kind of let those two... Um, overshadow each other. Um, but like being like politically liberal is one thing. But when it comes to like faith or theology, to me progressive is more accurate because what progressive means is that you're open and expecting progress. You're open to new ideas. You're open to new ways of thinking, new ways of uh, experiencing divine love. Where conservative um, means that uh, you want to be, you want to conserve what you already have. The answers we need to move forward, we can learn from the past, and we're going to be very slow to change. We're going to be very slow to adjust. Where progressives are like, well, yeah, let's go. You know, shoot first, ask questions later. <laughs> um, and thank God that we have some different ways of thinking. 
Because it wasn't too long ago that, and there's still churches today, that say, well, you know, because uh, you're a female, you, you should try it harder, right? You can't preach the gospel. You can teach kids, but you can't read the Bible to adults because they believe what the Bible says, which I believe takes a couple verses out of context, and says that you're less than. There's a group of people that said, why should you not be included? There was a time in churches where uh, interracial marriages were looked down upon, right? And they believed that's what the Bible said. There was a group of people that said, what if we got it wrong? What if there's a higher way of seeing? What if there's like wider ways? And thank God that we have, for a long, long time, we've had people who have been speaking about inclusion of the LGBTQIA plus community. And there's still a lot of faith communities that say, well, we we can't make the Bible do Olympics. I'm like, that's, I'm happy for you. What I see of a good and beautiful God is this wildly progressive, inclusive God. And it's progressive because you have the, the Magi, right? The Magi are these, like, um, mystics. They'd be people that would understand what the stars might be saying. They'd look to the cosmos. And they believe whatever was happening on earth would be played out in the heavens. And what was ever happening in the heavens would be played out on earth. Um, they had many different ways of thinking about spirituality and science and math. And people would come to them asking for uh, questions about what should I do for my future? How should I handle this relationship? And they had like this wide array of information um, that was very, very progressive. But Matthew is telling a story of taking the Magi, which they just say from the east, and he puts them together in a very small place, uh, in a small manger, with, um, with Hebrew people. Very, very different than the Magi. And in the context of being um, occupied by Rome, and then you have King Herod and his power, and it's just this wild group of strangers that come together for one purpose, right? There's something in that start that drew the Magi to this random place to actually just experience and have this kadosh moment. But in order for these Magi to be able to see the star, they had to have some expectation of what was happening in the stars, Because when they saw that star, they knew something was different. And let me put this out there. Um, Way too much energy has been put into what this star is, right? We have no clue. There's people who have come up with the Messiah star, which is like two planets that, like, came together. Um, There's people who believe, like, uh, there was, like, a, what do you call it, like a meteor that was coming. Um, and, And for me, Matthew, again, is trying to tell a bigger story than just the star. The star's important, right? But how it got there, and if it was real, if it's not, to me, like, there's, a, there's a better story to be told about something that got their attention that prompted them to move. But in order, these magi had to at least notice. They had to see the sparkle. And I love thinking about this because um, how many times did they look up at the stars and they missed that star? How many other thousands of people saw that same star but didn't have the wherewithal to understand that that star was different? How many other people noticed that star was different but didn't have the means to move towards it? And who was the first to see it? Which one of the magi or the the group of people like saw it and they're like, am I taking crazy pills? Right? And they had to go tell their friend like, Bill, do you see that star? They had to at least notice it. And in my experience, there's so many of us that we don't take the time to look for the sparkle. Like we numb ourselves. We don't have hope. We think this is all it's ever going to be. We, we think, no, other people get to see the sparkle. People like me, we don't. And it's like we can, um, it, there's this book called um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I just started reading it. 
It's all about how you find creativity, how you find inspiration, how you move towards that big magic, that big creative idea. And the first couple pages I'm reading, I'm like, I do have a big magic idea. I do have some inspiration. And then she's like, and you're probably thinking of these 40 questions or these 40 statements. I'm like, oh, and turn the page. And it's 40 things that you tell yourself that you can't do it. You're too old. You're too young. There's people who are better at you. There's people who've already done it. There's people who could do it better than you. Why even do it? You're too heavy. You're too thin. You're not experienced. You need a better degree. And every single one of them, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, like I see the sparkle, and then I don't do anything about it. And so many of us, we, we, we eliminate ourselves because first they had to be able to observe that there was something different. There was something drawing them, but then they had to do something about it. And this is where so many of us stop. We have this premonition. We have this inspiration. We have this idea of, like, going back to school. We have this idea of, like, uh, getting more friends. I was just talking with um, someone in their 50s, um, and we were talking about, like, friendships. I'm like, does it get easier to make friends in your 50s? Because I'm in my 40s. And they're like, no. <laughs> I'm like, humans are really bad at making friends. They're like, absolutely, right? And so maybe you have this premonition of, uh, you want to make new friends, and then there's a sparkle, and you see someone, and you're like, I want, I want to be best friends with them. You ever done that before? They're a complete stranger, and maybe you've had like, maybe a conversation with them, you're like, I want to party with that crew. And then you think, okay, I'm going to walk up and introduce myself. And you're like, I'd rather die. <laughs> right? Because you know what's going to cost us, and so you shut it down. Um, a lot of us think uh, about God or these sparkly moments uh, like these star moments, um, kind of like an end destination. And you think maybe you have, and I hate this word, but it makes sense, um, maybe you have like this calling, right? You feel like God put this calling on your life, and you see the sparkle, you see the end, and you have dreams of getting there and being that. In order to get there, it's like a train station, and you have to like catch six different trains to get there. And the first one is like, I have to be at L9 at 10 a.m., and you get there at 945 because you are a tryhard, and you get there, and you're like, got it. And you get on your train, and you have 10 minutes to your next destination. It's five minutes away. So you hurry, and you get that train, and you go down. And your next one is, it's actually like uh, uh, five minutes away, but it's a 10-minute walk, right? Or it leaves in 10 minutes, but it's like a 15-minute walk. And so you get out, and you sprint, and you run, and you're screaming. You're like, please, someone help me. And you get there, and the train's already going by, and you think, I've missed it. This is where I live now. Whatever my calling was, it's done. I will never be able to uh, arrive to that destination. This is all I'll ever be. And so many of my conversations with people, they, this is how they view their life. This is how they view God. I have like a short window and I have to get it. And I have to, if I miss it, then it's shut it down. It's over. It's done. I'll never achieve that. I'll never be that. I'll never experience that. Where in fact, the God that I know, it's like the story of like a, the, the burning bush. Um, Rob Bell spoke about this like a decade ago. And he said, how many times did Moses walk by that bush and didn't realize that it was burning? Was it just like Moses saw it like within the first 10 seconds? Like, oh, I should move towards that. Or could have been days? Could have been weeks? Could have been months? Of him walking by and just never noticing that bush was A, burning, and B, that it always kept burning. And what was it that, he, that took him for honestly for the first time to actually look at it and move towards it? Because the transformation that happens in that story of Moses is when he actually moves towards it. And that's where he experiences that kadosh moment. We have to be able to notice it 
and move towards it. So here's a hilarious story about how I did it completely backwards, Sarah. You can write this one down. Um, when we became uh, Neighborhood Church, um, uh, I lost my whole network of, like, uh, other professional clergy. Um, and I needed some more friends. I needed some other people who um, had, like, a similar lived experience to me. And so I thought, hey, I should go back to seminary. And there was a school that had a professor that I really, really enjoyed reading. Um, and I had someone say, go to the seminary just for this teacher. And so I'm like, I'll go check it out. So I drive down to the cities. And this is right before um, the world shut down. So there was, like, no one there. We're masked up. And they're walking me around this school. And it's called um, United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities. Um, and it's in this, like, hip with it and wow building. And um, he, he takes me to, like, the library that I'm never going to see because I'm a remote student. But then he takes me to the chapel, a guy named Mason. And we walk in, and, and the chapel, when my undergrad, could fit, like, 800 people. And we had chapel every every day, and you could only miss, like, six of them, so it was, like, chapel was, like, a big deal. I mean, here it was a small chapel, maybe 40 people, but it was beautiful, and on the walls, there's, like, um, he's, like, hey, we have symbols, uh, religious symbols for um, all these different faiths, because we're an interreligious school, so interreligion and interfaith are different. If you go to, like, a hospital or a nursing home, and they're called interfaith, it would be, like, you pick a faith, like, most of them would be Christian, and there would be different expressions of Christianity, from Methodist to Presbyterian to Evangelical to Baptist and so on and so on. Interreligion means that you're um, like a, a pluralistic uh, community, meaning there is many different, infinite ways of expressing divine love we could find in different world religions. And so he goes, you know, we have Baha'i students and over here, so we have the symbols over here for Islam and over here for um, uh, Buddhism. Uh, and then over here, and with each of them, I'm like, oh, sweet, awesome, it's great. And he's like, and over here we have um, the Wiccan uh, symbols in case a witch wants to come and lead us through a light ceremony. And something inside of me was like, what did you say? <laughs> I'm like, did you say Wiccan? Right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, hold on, aren't you like a historically Christian seminary? You should be cringing right now. You should, right? And... Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, why in the world would a Wiccan want to come to a Christian seminary? And I'll never forget it. Mason looked at me. He's like, that's a great question. Hey, Sarah, come on over here. We got a question for you. And I wanted to turn into a puddle and go down the drain. Like, I wanted to, like, try hiding, like, as on my own religious symbol, and, like, maybe they wouldn't see me. And um, this lady comes in in her 60s named Sarah. <laughs> Mason goes, he goes, Sarah, Chris wants to know why in the world would a Wiccan want to come to United uh, Theological Seminary? And I looked at her. I'm pale. Right? I'm just pale. And she goes, wow, that's a great question, Chris. Isn't it wonderful that we can move towards divine love from very different perspectives and that we can learn from one another since we're at different places? Because isn't that what we all want is just to experience divine love? And everything inside of me just melted of like, this is the school I want to belong to. This was the shiny moment, right? This is the shiny moment. Oh, because um, she was a nurse, and she was retired, and she was getting her chaplaincy degree, so she could go back into um, hospitals um, where she could practice uh, her work with light. And it totally reframed of what I thought about Wiccans. They are beautiful, beautiful, strong, inspiring people, 
And my bias got exposed, right? When it came to Islam and all these other things, I'm like, that's great. And then all of a sudden I hear this one, I'm like, burn it down. So the way I went about it is it was sparkly, and I moved towards it in a very, very biased way. But because of her kindness, what we got to experience was something kadosh. So my inspiration to you is when you see the sparkle, when you feel the light pulling you, you feel that nudge to do it, take a risk, even if you stumble through it, right? Because Sarah could have responded in many probably ways that I probably deserved to be spoken to, but she moved in love, and what we all experienced was something incredibly beautiful. And so uh, where, I end, where I end is this. Uh, when you have these kadosh moments, there's usually something that draws us there, and we want to stay there. Uh, at the end of this verse, at the end of this passage, it said um, they went, they saw Jesus, and they worshiped, and they responded by giving of gifts. Because when you see something holy, you can't help but give, right? When you have a friend come by, and they, they give you like a little squeeze in the hand, you squeeze it back. Someone says, I love you, unless you're on the first date, you usually respond with, I love you too, right? <laughs> right? There's, when, when you experience true love, you can't help but give back. And this is what the Magi did. They saw an unlikely group of people, an unlikely Savior, and they put a circle around it and worshiped. But then it says that um, through a dream, they heard to not go back to Herod, and they went back home a different route. And this is the first time I actually thought about this, is that they went back home. And when I have, like, these strong, like, especially when it comes to, like, spiritual experiences, there's something, I, there's something my mind says, I should just stay here. I, I don't want to leave. I don't want to miss whatever God is doing, whatever divine love is, is present. I don't want to miss on it. And it, it made me think of, like, like, what do you call that? I could not remember. I forgot to look it up. When you go to, like, um, like a, a beach destination and at a resort, and they're like, hey, give us 15 minutes, and we'll give you $100,000, right? And you can leave at any time. What do you call those? Timeshares. Thank you, right? Right? Why do you even entertain the idea of going to that meeting, right? Because you do get $100,000 like in Kohl's cash, right? Um, uh, but you entertain the idea because you just came from the beach, and maybe you heard your kids like splashing in the water, and you smell like sunscreen, and you have your favorite drink in your hand, and you and your partner are reading like an amazing book and you're laughing and you relax and there's something inside of you says, yeah, we should buy a timeshare because who, we would love to live here. We should be here as much as humanly possible because when you have those special life-giving experiences, you want to stay. And then maybe you try recreating that with a group of friends. You try recreating that, that moment, that joke. And maybe you even have, um, like when you go back for your um, high school reunion, Right? I love high school reunions. I'd go to all your high school reunions if I could, right? I'm like, I'm with them, right? Um, because we recreate those memories we had from 25 years ago. And those relationships are never going to evolve beyond that. But there's something really good about reliving it. But then there can be groups of friends or work or your family system where you're trying to recreate something new because of this really good thing. And by trying just to stay at that place, you miss out on the new transformation, new growth, and new love. So, I leave you with this. Maybe in those sparkly moments, maybe in those light moments, there's something to be experienced and something to be transformed. But maybe it's also to take with you to go back. Because you're no longer the same. Anytime we experience that love, we are transformed. 
and there's new places to be, new places to be experienced, and new places to love. So my prayer is that this holiday season, you could look up. Look around the table, look around your yard, look around in your body, and see what maybe something is nudging you or prompting you, and that you can move towards it and have that kadosh moment. Let's pray. So God, we love you. And I thank you that you are not a God that is distant. You're not a God that is somewhere else. That you're a God that is not only present, you're a God that is within. And that you would continually nudge us and inspire us and lead us towards divine love. And so I ask that this holiday season that we'll be awake to the light, that maybe even be expecting that there's going to be a sparkle in our friend, in our family, in our art, in our leadership, in our cooking, that you would lead us to, to experience beautiful things. And when we see it, when we experience it, when we embody it, I pray, God, you'd help us be able to name it, that we pause and maybe even just whisper, this is a kadosh moment. Because all we want, just like my friend Sarah, all we want is to experience divine love. All we want is to give that divine love. So thank you for making yourself known. And we worship you and we love you. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to be, in, be here with us today. If you want to pray or you've got questions or you'd like to process, um, I'll be here until the lights are off. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm supposed to tell you to drink as much coffee as humanly possible because we made seven pots. <laughs>